0: Welcome to Happily Ever After, the podcast where we talk about life's big stories, from great sex to sexual trauma, breakups and breakdowns, icky secrets and happy endings. It's the stuff that makes us human and boy, do we cover it all. I'm your host, Hannah Harvey. I'm a writer and a parenting blogger at mumsdays.com. That's M-U-M-S-D-A-Y-S.com. I would be very grateful if you could subscribe and leave a review because it means more people can find the podcast and I also really 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 love hearing from you so please contact me through Instagram at mumsdays with all your stories of life and any thoughts you might have on the episode or even questions you want answering. You can find all the details from this episode in the show notes. Hello and welcome to Happily Ever After with me Hannah. Um, Today I'm joined by Caro Giles. Um, She's an author and her debut book Twelve Moons came out a couple of weeks ago. Hi Caro. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming on today because well it's been a bit of a whirlwind and I wanted to quickly share the serendipity of this podcast which is I was chatting to my friend on Sunday and she was telling me, you've got to read this book, it's amazing. And the very next day, we don't know each other, but you commented on something that I'd done on Instagram and I was like, it's like the universe aligning. Magic. <laughs> you have to come on. So I'd already started reading your book, which was good because it was only a few days ago. Um, but yeah, she this is, can I tell you what my friend said? yes please do yeah so she said the description is um, it's the woman's story it's about vulnerability and strength and it's just gorgeous uh, she feels a connection with nature which helps her through tough times and it's just brilliant so you know sold oh, I went and bought it lovely. thank you so much to your yeah. friend she also said she'd marry you so you know you've got options Amazing, good
1: to have. <laughs> Only person who's offered, so thanks.
0: Oh well, you never know after this, then. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I mean, I've got loads of questions, and it's really a beautiful, like, incredibly vulnerable book. And I mean, would you mind giving us like the sort of the overview that you're allowed to give without me giving away all the secrets? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'll just tell you uh, basically what the book is about. So 12 Moons is a memoir that I wrote in real time um, in 2021, mainly in 2021. And um, it was following the end of my marriage and we were still in lockdown. And I was trying to find a way to, I guess, to find out who I was again following Yeah, a really sad time and um it was a very specific time when everything felt very claustrophobic because we weren't really allowed to go anywhere um and i was looking out of the window because i couldn't be on the beaches because we weren't really allowed to be out and i became a little bit addicted to staring at the moon and i really wanted to tell this story of what it is to be a woman learning to live on her own and learning to call a place home again, I guess, after um, a period of trauma. And so I used um, the moon to do that. So each chapter in 12 moons is a different moon and a different month. And so I tell the story of what it is to kind of come back to yourself, to come back to life after, um, you know, at the end of a marriage. And um, I also have four children. So I write about what it is to be alone, but never really never really alone because I always am surrounded by my kids Um, and during the course of of that year one of my children became very poorly as well which was another difficult thing to deal with so I write about that and I write about how the Northumbrian landscape, um, I, I mean it's kind of a cliche to say nature saved me, I don't mean that because actually I found it quite hard to learn to love Northumberland and learn to love the landscape around me so I guess I write about how how that happened. And in some regards, nature really did do a lot of, of good for my family because uh, one of my children really was saved by the sea and loved to be in the sea and felt most herself when she was in the sea. So there's lots of um, nature writing about the area where I live, but also it's a very raw depiction of what it is to come out of a of a marriage and to try to find a way forward, so yeah. Yeah. Like an idea of what it's about.
0: <clears throat> yeah. Um, well, when I was reading it, I was like, uh, it just really struck me that I was going through exactly the same thing at exactly the same time. Um, just when you were describing the different lockdowns, I was like, oh, yeah, that was the time that things really, like the wheels really yeah. fell off or I felt really alone or... Um, yeah it and I remember looking at the moon as well like I'd never had a connection with the moon before but I'd fallen into more kind of doing yoga and a big thing in like the yoga community is this like connection to moon cycles and I was just a bit like I don't even know if this feels real for me but I need something like I need to hope that there's something more and there was something about the moon that really offered a lot of solace during that time.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I really think that one of the things, one of the ways the moon helped was to, I, I already was feeling very diminished and very tiny, um, not in a good way, but I did find that standing under the moon made, made me feel small, but kind of put things into perspective. So I felt, I think I write in the book about feeling insignificant in the best way, I felt like I was part of something so much bigger that I couldn't control. And that was very reassuring at a time when I felt like I had completely lost control of everything that I knew. There was something about being held steady by the moon that felt quite visceral, really. Um, And I think as well in that time of lockdown, when we couldn't just pop out for a walk or go for a run, sometimes I just would stand in my front garden or stick my head out the bathroom window and just like a gulp of air and seeing the moon felt like a massive thing at that time when everything was so um, intense, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, it really was. Do you know, I was almost doing the opposite at that time because I got really into this idea of manifesting. So I'd be sitting and like, especially at a new moon or a full moon, I'd be really thinking about my intentions and this is what I'm going to manifest in my life. And I was trying to take control that way.
1: Um, did it it work for you I don't know (laughs) it kind of gives you a focus doesn't it I I thought quite a lot about whether someone said to me you're either a full moon person or a new moon person and I so then I became a little bit obsessed with trying to work out what I was and I worked out that I was a full moon person but now I'm not sure actually (laughs) So I'm not that's kind of similar to your manifestations where you're just trying to place place importance on something to You know, you're kind of grappling at things to hold on, aren't you, when everything's rocking around you? Yeah, Um, exactly. It's it's still meaningful at the time, I think.
0: Yeah, and I think when your entire world has changed in the way that you used to do things and used to see yourself, it's like you're free-falling. So you need something to cling on to.
1: Yeah, Um, and it's how how you see yourself, but also how how you're perceived by others now now your family shape has changed um I I found that I found that my place in society felt really removed from what Mm. I know because I'd always conformed and now I was no longer doing that and um yeah that still still feels like something I'm, I'm working through to be honest yeah you
0: mentioned in the book quite a bit about how you feel you know wherever you go because you have four girls people are like what is this on your own where is
1: this man to look after you or yeah where's the man and if I'm away from the children which is about one day a year you know from all if I'm ever on my own which is really rare then people always ask me if my husband is looking after the kids and I always just think I bet people don't say that to a man when he's on his own actually uh, I always find that funny <laughs> can Have you Yeah, I know. Where are your children? But I also find the ratio is a challenge, actually. I mean, just the obvious challenge of having four kids on your own, it's a lot, but it's great. But things like today, I tried to join a swimming pool and they wouldn't let me because there weren't enough grown-ups for children. Yeah, you don't have the right ratio. Oh, so I was raging, but I just thought, oh, well, yeah. So things like that, just like practical things, as well as um, the thing of not being 2.4 kids. It's, it's just a thing to work through isn't it
0: god and you're like i take them swimming in the sea all the time but i can't bring them to my local pool where you have lifeguards
1: no it didn't work that was a shame so i need a new plan for that or um a partner or a au pair <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Something just hire
0: like in the help
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah throw money at the problem that i don't have
0: yeah so you kind of explain at the beginning of the book how you move from the city so like you're living in london and then you move to northumberland Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and you really miss the city did you ever think you know during the process of divorce i need to move back to the city i can't do it on my own here in the
1: wilderness um ever since i moved out of the city i've thought How can I move back to the city? But (laughs) I mean, not not always in the I I mean, I love to be here in Northumberland, and actually my children are really settled here. And there are many, many things I love about it. But I so as a mother on her own, like it's a lovely community, and my children who struggle with lots of different aspects of life don't struggle with being by the sea and in the wilderness. So that's great. But as a woman on her own, it's quite hard living in Rural Northumberland, um, culturally, I find it a bit tricky. Like, where can I go out that's easy? But you know, because if you go into the city, then childcare becomes really expensive because it takes a while to get there. And also, just in terms of meeting like-minded people, that is just—it's not impossible. There are some amazing people up here, but it's just—it's just harder because there are less people here. So, um, yeah, I have thought that would be a good thing, but I think it would only be a good thing for me and for one of my daughters who is a bit cityish as well but but for the family as a whole it wouldn't work and finance wise i can't afford to move anyway so yeah i write about that in the book really the idea you know the thing about choices being taken away and having to make having to make your situation work um that was another part of the claustrophobia that i was experiencing um yeah so I explore that in the book as well yeah but but for now now, Northumberland is good but I do um crave the city still
0: yeah I know the feeling I was always a big city girl and then um when I met my partner he really wanted to live in the countryside so we Mm -hmm. went towards Corbridge that that side of Northumberland
1: nice lovely that
0: gorgeous and I think um although there's fewer people the, the relationships I have with the friends that I have there are really you know significant and yeah um and I know quite a few people who know you who are up your neck of the woods and I'm like oh there must be such a great melting pot of interesting people
1: yeah I think I think you're drawn you're drawn to um we're all drawn to each other like creative people or people you know who are um with, you know with ideas outside of you haven't grown up in the area maybe as well who yeah want to things I think we're all drawn to each other so that's really nice Um, And also, I found the online community to be a massive lifesaver. I don't know how you felt about that during lockdown. um, I just felt like the world opened up, actually, even though I was living really quite remotely with lots of children. I did just feel like lots of things went moved online that hadn't been available to me before. So um, I found other communities of friends and uh, colleagues on the Internet, which was great. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's a whole world out there, really, isn't there?
0: Yeah, there is. And I think, I mean, of all the awfulness of lockdown, the the way that we've moved online has been incredible. Like just even doing a Zoom like this, you wouldn't be doing that three years ago, I don't think.
1: No, and also just much more, I'm always talking about trying to make everything more inclusive because I sometimes can't leave the house if, um, if if one of my children can't manage that or um, yeah, I can't get the childcare or whatever. So it's just so much more inclusive to be able to have things online like this. It means we can all kind of have a place at the table. I think that's... Yeah, hmm.
0: like flexible working around, you know, we do have kids to look after. So therefore, I cannot be in an office nine to five.
1: No, exactly.
0: Yeah, interesting. So throughout your book, <clears throat> I really love like all your little fairy tale references. Yeah. Um, And like your spiritual nuggets kind of woven throughout and it felt to me almost like it added to that like almost exhausted dreamlike state that you must have been in because there was just so much to to juggle and you mentioned the fact that you weren't sleeping um yeah and I guess like it kind of links me back to like what the podcast is all about and you know what the happily ever after was like what was it for you as a child what did you see your life being like when you were growing up?
1: Um, I mean I guess I always saw myself hopefully with a partner and I always always wanted to have a lot of children so in that sense part of the happy ending has has come true I also really wanted to be creative so I've been really fortunate in that regard but I think one of the things I feel about happy endings I was thinking about this when I first started learning about you and your podcast Um I think with writing memoir. I just feel that there's no such thing really as a happy ending and I think um so a memoir is just like a nugget of someone's life isn't it or a strand of someone's life you can't you know I really it was harder to decide what not to put in the book than what to put in it but I I think that life is messy and so I'm I'm interested in how to make stories out of that um and it was interesting writing this book because I was writing it in real time. I didn't really quite know how it would end, because I didn't know obviously what was going to happen. And all I knew was that I wanted the reader to leave with a with a feeling of hope and with a feeling of optimism and with a sense that even though life can be very hard and it can be messy and it can be sad, there's all you know, there is always hope. And I I guess that's how I feel about happy endings. You can, you can have dreams and ambitions um, but sometimes life will get in the way and sometimes a happy ending will look quite different to, to what you thought it was I guess my happy ending maybe is that out of all this sadness out of my marriage ending and not being with a person I thought I would be with for over 50 years I feel probably that I found myself a bit more that I am. I know myself better and I'm More able to put myself in the foreground, Um, and that was something that I think I found difficult when I was married and when I was younger. So that's been a very painful process, but in a sense, that's a happy ending for me, I guess.
0: Yeah, I can one hundred percent relate to that. Yeah, I think as well what I felt connected to in your story was the how you can kind of start off in life thinking you're going to do one thing. And then you naturally fall into the role, like quite traditional roles of being the mother and the person at home and the caregiver. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as a result, when things don't work out, you're then like, hmm, how am I going to make this work now? I don't even have a career. Or, I mean, you did, but.
1: <clears throat> well, I did, but I, but I mean, I earned some money, but I didn't it was a job rather than a career. I think um, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I wanted to breastfeed my children and I yeah. wanted to have lots of children. And I wanted to, to be with my children. I didn't want to be working a million hours. So in a sense I was grateful that I had a partner who could earn money as well, but I also kind of wanted it to be more equal than it ended up being. And I don't know they just felt like a lot of pressure from lots of, angles really to conform still even though it's like the 21st century i still found it really hard to carve out a place for me um i think it's something to do as well with mother i was talking to someone about this today with mothering and caring being so undervalued you know unpaid care yeah. being so valued that that doesn't help because it's kind of dismissed and disregarded but actually it's exhausting and it's time consuming and it needs it deserves respect and um that still doesn't happen does it so th- I guess that's one of the reasons why it's easy to lose yourself in it
0: yeah because you don't feel valued necessarily as you are and it's can be quite relentless it's 24 yeah. 7
1: um I don't know I think yeah there's still such a long way to go isn't there I still I, I wrote something recently about this idea of having it all and I think when you talk about happy endings I th- I think I grew up or like came of age like just before the millennium thinking that women could have it all and and really that just meant that women did it all yeah <laughs> you know they do, do domestically and having a career and everything else keeping the home you know that was what having it all looked like really it wasn't it wasn't having it all in any you know in any meaningful positive way I don't think but um I had to live through that to realize that that was the case I guess I hadn't understood that I was younger
0: and I I don't know about you but I grew up with um both sides of my both my grandmothers were working and raising the children and looking after the home and um yeah when I was able to be the one at home just being a mother I felt guilty for that I felt like Mm. I wasn't um contributing in the same way that my uh, you know my mum was full-time working mum as well so it's a real tricky balance you feel like you need to be earning and bringing in money but then you also want to be with your children and enjoying the fact that you can
1: yeah and also um, it's true I think as well that mothers will be blamed when things go wrong so really you can't win because if you go to work and then um, your children are missing you or things are tricky at home because you're you're absent then it's the mother who will be blamed for that and likewise if you're at home you're told that you're kind of over over and cloying and you know it's very hard isn't it to find a balance um and, and to get it right and also everybody's life and needs are, are different so you know it's hard we we shouldn't really judge what anybody chooses to do should we
0: no it should always come down to what you would like to do but obviously we're our own worst critics <laughs> half
1: the time yeah yeah I, th- I think that's true as well is that we're is that we are we can be critical of each other but also like that inner critic is so powerful isn't it especially when you've come from a place where your self- esteem you know you come from a place of sadness and following a divorce you're kind of you're pretty broken so i think at, at that point in your life it's hard to hit any positives, isn't it because you're just feeling so exhausted and burnt out by everything yeah so, yeah it's just yeah it's just a case of trying to trying to eradicate those voices that hide around and say horrible
0: things (laughs) yeah because I often find um if it was because in fact this is the kind of thing my therapist would say it'd be like okay what you've just said would you say that to your best friend and I'm like no I would never dream of it they can totally do whatever they want
1: yeah Um, and it's it's like how you um you can give really good advice to your best friend but then you can't give it to yourself you can't give it to yourself like you literally can't. brilliant like oh you're so wise Caro so true and then if I said it to myself I'd be like why could I couldn't do that I wouldn't be able to do that yeah, yeah
0: it's like I don't even know where to start <laughs> um so yeah there was a few things uh, in the book which I was just like whew, made maybe quite exhausted like remembering it all and it's that like the idea of the relentlessness of motherhood and trying to keep it all going when like even though the tasks are simple sometimes when you're also going through trauma and you know everything's changing the simplest thing for me would like send me spiraling off and i felt like you really described that so well and it, when you were talking about where your lawyer is saying to you, like, your life is very precarious. And you're like, yeah,
1: yeah it is. Like, and that's the worst thing when someone points it out. You're like, I know that. That's you, know, you don't need to highlight that for me. I'm feeling, I'm feeling how precarious it is. Yeah. And sometimes as well, often I feel like I can hold so much. Like I, I hold so much as a carer and as a mother and as a writer and all, like I'm juggling all those things, but often it's just the tiniest thing, isn't it? That will, that will make every, everything break. you can yeah. achieve massive and like deal with these really difficult meetings or um publish a book or whatever and then like a tiny thing will happen and it will absolutely floor you and you think no <laughs> I don't know what like burning your soup or something like it's something really ridiculous and it just yep. absolutely you know kills you it's like Weird. the final
0: thing where you're like nope I can't do it anymore that's um, it oh my god your story about the camping trip
1: oh yeah that was fun
0: well it made me cry I was like Jesus like
1: it, the it one up was- in
0: like, Melvick where you it's like nearly flying away and yeah. you're like
1: trying to <sighs> yeah that was nerve-wracking that so I there were just a few instances in the book where it becomes very obvious that only having one adult is a is a challenge and I guess that just was like one that highlighted highlighted that, an example that highlighted it well but it also served to highlight the fact that there were just some really lovely kind people who wished my family well. And and I think when you come out of a come out of a divorce, however that has been for you, it probably probably hasn't probably isn't easy for anybody. Um and I think I think I just really felt like kindness and calm was really missing from my life at that point. And so yeah, I really I I wrote about that holiday to highlight that really, just to just it was an opportunity for me to rediscover. The joys of humans, uh, yeah. the good in human nature, and yeah, just to remember that that things wouldn't always be so tricky. I guess yeah, and
0: people will help out. Like I had a similar experience where I was, and the, it was the reasoning for you doing it as well. You're like, I want, I want to be enough for my kids. I want to take them away. I want to show them a good time, and we're going to go on a holiday. And I remember doing something similar and being like, right, we're going to walk to see some friends, um, and we're going to walk there because it's important to walk. But you can't make two children do two things at the same time. They just won't do it. And so one of them wouldn't walk at all, and the other one was ten miles off in the feet, you know ahead. And and I ended up putting Nancy on my shoulders because she wouldn't go on her scooter and she wouldn't go in her pram. And then in the process of standing up, she flipped off my shoulders. I managed to just grab her by the back of her coat so she didn't smack her head off the floor. And then these two people just ran over and they like bundled me up because I was like beside myself that I'd let this happen. And it was just like the moment where I was like, I can't do this on my own.
1: Yeah, like- it's hard not having someone to share those difficult moments with, I think, isn't it? I um had a similar moment, which I write about in the book when I tr- we were allowed outside, but my oldest daughter was in a wheelchair and it was really hard to manage a child like a 13-year-old, 14-year-old child in a wheelchair and three other younger children. That was just really hard to do anything at all. Um, Yeah, and we just got the wheelchair, got snagged on like some sandy gravel or something. And I I just, I kind of stepped outside myself for a moment and looked at me and my children and it was quite grey on the edge of the country. I just thought, "This this is not this is not quite what I had planned for my life here, actually. And I can look back now, and actually it still is quite painful to think about that moment. I was going to say I've kind of moved past that, but actually, like, I'm not sure anybody should should need to manage things that are that hard. That felt really tough. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard, I think, when you realise there's no one to share that with, isn't it? Um,
0: yeah, and all you're trying to do is the best and you know there's other times that you're talking about being really brave and giving these girls like amazing memories and you know when it's working yes like it's worth the effort but other times it's like oh my god how have I
1: ended up here but sometimes as well don't you think we're trying to make those memories for our purpose not theirs because often oftentimes my kids will just like at the minute two of them are playing with some little dolls in their bedroom and if they could they would do that all day long they love doing that or they just want to um the little one said I just want to draw around my hand mummy I was like that's great draw around your hand she's happy drawing around her hand she doesn't need to go and like jump in the sea or like walk up a hill she just wants to draw around her hand sometimes I feel like I'm setting myself up and it's 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 because I have this kind of desire to do these great, great big grand gestures and maybe they don't need that I don't know, it's all part of the learning, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, I do. I can see that a lot. My um sister in law is can be quite like that. She's really active and she wants to be out and then she's like, Oh my god, I'm kinda making things harder for myself because, you know, it's nine o'clock in the morning and I've made fifteen sandwiches and we're gonna go climbing up a hill and the kids are like, I just wanted to watch breakfast telly
1: that does sound like me but then that's to do as well isn't it with how how, how can you have your own needs met yeah because my needs met i would really like to i'm i have a lot of energy and i really like to be out a lot busy a lot doing lots of things and that's really not the need specifically for two possibly three of my children and so <laughs> because this, because i can't leave those children with anyone so i can go out and do those things that i want to do that's the challenge isn't it of yes. trying to have your own needs met whilst meeting your children's needs it's it's always going to be a challenge
0: well that's interesting though that it means yes it might be a challenge for you but it does mean that you're filling your cup at the same time
1: yeah and I think you know they have to they have to see that don't they they have to learn that learn that you have needs too yeah the the difficulty for me is that sometimes um one of my daughters is autistic and the other one and definitely has lots of issues around sensory stuff so that's not that's not a child just not wanting to do something that's actually how can I meet this child's needs in a way that is not going to be traumatizing for them that's different so I guess that's the type of challenge I face on a daily basis as well which I write about in the book but I do still think it's important that they know that I need to do things for me as well it doesn't yeah. happen often but you know it, happens yeah. enough. it doesn't even happen enough actually but it happens sometimes and then that has to be enough for now <laughs>
0: Yes. Well, I was looking at like your approach to dealing with um, this transition and trauma is very different to mine. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> I went quite like <clears throat> quite sloth like and like I must be in bed when the kids are like I need to make sure I've had a really good night's sleep.
1: Otherwise, tomorrow's going to
0: be dreadful. Yeah. You seem to want to get in really cold water.
1: <laughs> no. What happened? Was, I, did, I did go to bed when the kids went to bed because I was getting up really, really early. To write the book but I did also want to get into cold water partly because my oldest daughter felt her best when she was in cold water so I was really happy to help her achieve that because she she was very very unwell so partly it was for her but also I think it was something to do with just wanting to feel a bit of danger and a bit wild and a bit kind of thrashed around and on the edge of stuff and not cocooned in a house being domestic it was partly craving craving that I think um yeah yeah and
0: you kind of describe (laughs) it as like you and your tribe of girls and like the wild witch the wild sea witch that comes out I loved all that it sounded amazing and then yesterday I was like I really need to like get out in nature
1: (laughs) but it's not for everyone some people hate going out and about but I just feel like I live like I'd like to be, you know, like doing some galleries in London or something, but yeah. I live in North London. So what am I going to do? You know, the sea's beautiful. Let's let's make the most of that. And the bonus was that it does make my children also feel really good too. So, yeah, it works OK for us.
0: Yeah. And you talk about depression as well. Is that like one of your main coping strategies for avoiding? Um, well, I say avoiding, but...
1: No, yeah, that's fine. I think I talk more about anxiety and I talk about um, my OCD as mm. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, So um, I definitely think that being outside is important for my well-being when I can't get to the beaches or can't go any further than my house. I run in laps around and around and around and around my back lane. And that's really helpful, actually. Um, Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I just think it is a a natural kind of mood lifter, isn't it? Being outside and that was one of the challenges of being inside all the time in lockdown. Although yeah. the weather was so glorious, we could just kind of lie on the back lane in some kind of weird, quiet country where there were no planes and no I know it was such a strange time that lockdown, wasn't it? That first really try.
0: weird. Like the, so, the twenty twenty one.
1: Yeah. Um, so strange.
0: Yeah, it was gorgeous. It was like crazy beautiful Easter weather. It and was really on gorgeous. holiday.
1: Yeah, but it was also really tinged with massive fear because there was no vaccine, was there? And so the girls were saying to me the other day, "Do you remember, mummy, we how we had to have a shower every time we came back from the supermarket?" And like, because none of us really knew how to keep ourselves safe other than not to touch anybody or be breathe on anyone. And it was that was it was um, such a strange time, wasn't yeah. it?
0: I had friends that would disinfect all their washing at uh, shopping.
1: Yeah, leave it in a
0: cupboard for two days and then eat it
1: i i didn't have the energy for that but i no. did I, I did make the children take their clothes off and wash them after we had been to the supermarket but i just i don't know I, I felt terrified because there was no one else if anything happened to me if i went down i was like what's gonna happen i'm yeah. on my own <laughs> so i was really um it wasn't paranoid but i was just very mindful that i needed to keep well because well, yeah, was so
0: everybody was feeling the same you know and at that point i was still with my ex right and i remember just thinking well what if we both get it who's gonna look after because at the time we had a like she was just one and 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 then two other kids as well so yeah it was a really weird really weird time
1: yeah and it was a funny time I guess that time as well was so full of pressure that for many people probably relationship stuff was very difficult I had already split up with my husband by that point but it definitely kind of exacerbated all the feelings I was having around my divorce because it was just so, everything was so intense. Yeah. And there was no support was there either because you couldn't see anyone or no one could come and help you or all the services were shut and everything was, yeah, it was just, it was isolating. And I guess it was against that backdrop that I wrote 12 moons because everything was so heightened and I felt more, even more isolated, but it worked quite well for the, for the premise of the book. Great
0: for the book. (laughs) But yeah, I think it, the the first one was a bit like well we don't know how long it's going to last so we're okay but by the time we're getting to 2021 it's like we're still here we're still doing this it's a year on
1: yeah it was awful and my daughter was sick by then as well I was just really ready for it all to go away it was horrible
0: yeah like coping with all that and the needs of your other three children on mm-hmm. top it's just yeah but like you say it still manages to leave you with hope and yeah,
1: and yeah exactly and i just and i and i really really hope that that's what people will take away from 12 moons as well because i have been there have been before it came out um people like early readers are saying it's very raw it's very emotional i thought oh my god maybe it's just like too sad for people too raw to <laughs> you've you've t- you poured yourself too much onto the page caro but actually what's been really lovely is that like you said at the beginning of our conversation lots of people people haven't been through my specific story there are things that are specific to me but but we all are human and we all have experienced grief and we all have experienced isolation and it has been uh, the biggest joy for me to connect with people who feel heard by reading my story and feel understood and you know who, who have reached out and I've you know we've started conversations And I think and I hope it will start a wider conversation around what it is to feel hidden as a carer or as a mother and, you know, what it is to be a woman on your own. So I I definitely feel that writing this book has been a massive project of hope. And I and yeah, I really hope that it will be a positive force for people.
0: I think so. I think it's that like empathetic um I guess that like feeling because you talk about every bit. everyone feels a bit other and that's what you say to your eldest daughter or she says mm-hmm. to you quite a bit and but we do um yeah so it's that feeling that your book's sort of highlighting that what I've been through isn't like I mean it's nothing like what you've been through I feel like but equally it was it was exactly the same in so many ways yeah. um and so you kind and, of and it- feel heard again and yeah
1: yeah, and also hopeful that you can come out the other side as well, because it feels it's such a it's such a heartbreaker, isn't it when when you realise your marriage is going to work and you and you can't see what it will be like on the other side. And yeah, it's it's nice to be able to say that that I feel that I'm enough for myself. That feels like a good kind of starting point for for the next stage of my life I think
0: yeah and how many people can honestly say that I think for years I never realized I didn't feel enough until I've been through this process no, I didn't. no so,
1: exactly yeah so if anything good can come out of something so sad then maybe that's it hey
0: definitely oh thank you so much for meeting with me today Cara I really appreciate it
1: I loved it what a lovely conversation thanks for having yeah, me
0: thank you Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time for another episode of Happily Ever After with me, Hannah Harvey. It would be wonderful if you could leave a review and subscribe and of course if you've got a friend who might enjoy this episode then please do pass it on. For anything else you can get in touch with me through either Instagram at mumsdays or through my website mumsdays.com.